whoa. Hey, as you grab a seat, grab a Bible and get it on your lap to Acts chapter 2 this morning, Acts, Acts chapter 2, and I feel impressed right now uh, to totally change the way that the sermon was going to start and just sing. We were, as we were singing that, as, and as you sense the presence of God's very spirit with us as we sung, how great is our God, I just feel impressed to start this message by telling you if you're not here and you don't know this great God, that you have a great God who wants to know you personally. He wants to know you. Hear that. He wants to know you. He doesn't want you to just know that there is a God or a higher power or the man upstairs. He wants to know you intimately and personally. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and he created, with, he created them to walk in perfect relationship with him. He created them to walk in intimacy with him that we cannot even fathom today as we live on the other side of sin entering this world. And uh, for this first man and this first woman, sin entered the world, and it, and it broke fellowship with God. There was now a gap. There was a separation. And this is not what God intended. And uh, so often the question comes up, if God is good and he's all-powerful, why would he allow sin to enter the world? Listen, the sin entering the world is not a God problem, it's a man problem. From the very first, man and woman, sin entered the world. God calls sin anything that he says to do that we don't do, anything that he says not to do that we do. And all of us in here are guilty. And we know it, Right? We don't have to look back far in our life. The Rolodex of sin is ever present before us. And God says that the penalty for that sin is death. It's separation from him. Eternity is at stake. There are two paths. There is a narrow road that leads to the presence of God in heaven. And there is a broad road that leads to separation from God in hell. And that was the state of man. That was the law entrusted to man. And then God, because of the great love in which he loved us, he sent his son, his only son, his begotten son. And Jesus came into the world. And he paid the penalty of sin's death on our behalf. And when it once looked hopeless for man and woman, there was now great hope. Where death once reigns, guess what? He replaced it with life. And when Jesus shows up, you know what happens? Everything changes. Addicts are set free. Those of you consumed with anxiety and fear, you now walk in the freedom of, 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 of full trust in this Jesus. The God-man who came. And he offers relationship to all of us. And now the question is, how do I enter into relationship with this Jesus? It's about being a really good person, right? It's about me, it's about me grabbing a hold of this and doing something, right? No, you can't. You're a terrible savior for yourself. And for too long in my life, I grew up in church and, and I heard this message, this gospel, this good news, and yet I was living as if my moral goodness would save me. And it was 19 years old that God opened my eyes to see you're lost, you can't save yourself, you can't be good enough, surrender, trust, and God is calling you today, if the surrender has never happened, to get on your knees in this place and surrender and trust. 
For it is by faith that you are saved. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not by words so that no one can boast. And here's what we're going to see as we continue our study in the book of Acts this morning. Peter's going to stand up and he's going to preach this exact message. Um, You remember where this left off. The Holy Spirit has come and he's filled the believers. If you're new with us this morning, we're journeying through the book of Acts here, but don't worry, I can catch you up in 90 seconds right now. Um, Jesus has been crucified He is risen from the dead. He has, over a period of 40 days, appeared to his followers. And in appearing to them, he has told them, here's what I need you to do. I need you to wait. God says, wait. I need you to wait for the Spirit to come. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to fill you with power, and you will be my witnesses here, near, and far. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Last week we saw day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and all of the sudden, empowered with the Holy Spirit, um, uh, the, the, the Jesus followers, they began, they began preaching, they began proclaiming, it says the, the, the wonders of God in, in the tongues, in the languages, that people who would have come all back to Jerusalem from all over the known world here to celebrate this Pentecost, they could understand what was being said. And now, uh, go back to your Bibles, uh, Acts 2, verse 13. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby, you'll, you can grab one and get to Acts. Acts 2, verse 13. Look at what people who are, who are watching this try to do to understand what, what's happening here. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, what'd they say, what'd they say? Translated into 2018 language, what'd they say? You drunk. These people are gone. And now Peter's going to stand up, and he's going to address what it is that's going on here. And as he addresses it, he's going to open up. Remember, these are devout Jews back in Jerusalem for Pentecost. He's going to open up the scriptures. He's going to use the very word that they saw as the word of God to show them and to tell them, here's what is going on. And in doing so, He's going to take that spotlight full of the Spirit, and he's going to put it firmly on Jesus, and he's going to keep it right there throughout the entirety of this message. And so pray with me right now that we would do the same as we study it this morning. Father God, as we come to you, Lord, you know the prayer on my heart today is that today's message would not come in the plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of power and of the Spirit, so that faith would not rest on the word of man or the wisdom of man, but squarely on you, the God of this word. And so, God, I pray right now, just as Peter put the spotlight firmly on you, that as we sit here thousands of years later and we study this sermon that he preached at this time, God, that the spotlight would remain firmly on you. Get glory today, Lord. Get glory today. May you magnify yourself. And Lord, for every heart in here who doesn't yet know you, may today be the day Jesus becomes Lord. And for every heart in here who's known you maybe for weeks or years or decades, 
would we never move away from just needing to gather as the church and look firmly on the Son, relishing this gospel, because the gospel not only saves us, but it empowers us to live out the saved life. So God, help us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2, pick it up in verse 14. Remember, here you got this crowd. And what, what attracts a crowd? What spontaneously attracts a crowd? Think about when you're walking through a major city, and all of a sudden, ahead on the sidewalk, you see a crowd gathering. And you get up there, and there's one of these street performers doing their amazing things right there. Um, an unusual sight is what attracts a crowd. And then you know how this works. Once a crowd has been attracted, a crowd attracts a crowd, right? People show up to go, what are these people watching? And so um, the Spirit's been poured out. All of these Galilean Jesus followers are speaking in lone languages of all these people that are there. A crowd forms. And look at what Peter says here. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Translation, we're not drunk, it's 9 a.m. And now Peter is going to tell them again, devout Jews here coming back, gathered for the celebration of Pentecost. He's going to go, you want to know what's going on? This isn't a drunk thing. Let me open the scriptures for you and tell you what's going on. Get back into it, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, let worship arise in your heart as we read this prophecy. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who what? That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter stands up here and with these devout Jews in front of him, he goes, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's going on here. And it's, go, go back to your Bible now. He goes, go back to the Hebrew scriptures. This is exactly what the prophet Joel said would happen. You want to know what's going on? God has poured out his spirit. Now, two things I want us to see here from the Joel prophecy. The first one is this. Go back um, to verse 17. And, the, and um, how does this start? I almost gave it to you. And in the what? And in the what? And in the last days. Uh, the first thing I want us to see from this Joel prophecy is this, that um, in redemptive history, you have Jesus coming. You have Jesus uh, dying rising from the dead, ascending to the Father, and then sending the Spirit, which is now in full force. Age of the Spirit has been ushered in. God dwelling in us. Amazing. Amazing. 
the Spirit of God dwelling in his people. Now, a next stage, next step of redemptive history, uh, someone's coming back. Who's coming back? Who's coming back one day? Jesus is coming back one day. Jesus is coming back one day. And the tears will be wiped away and death will be no more. And it's a, a big theological concept. That let me unpack it for you. It's going to be sweet. It's just going to be sweet. Now, I want you to hear this. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit. The age of the spirit is here. There's an urgency to this. Well, it's been 2,000 years. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since. So how, how urgent can this be? This is urgent. And the apostles lived with a sense of urgency as we study the rest of the book of Acts. And if you're a Jesus follower in this room today, guess what? It's urgent. Look at me. These are the last days. And I don't know if that means another 20 years before Jesus comes back. I don't know if that means another 200 years. I don't know if that means like the, the, what we've waited from this time now, 2,000 years to come. Guess what? We don't know. God knows. He knows. And we trust him for his perfect timing. But I'll tell you what, in the last days, there's an urgency to this Jesus followers. And, and if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, we are so glad you're here. But look at me. There's an urgency to this. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows when we pass from this life to the next. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. He could come back today and we say, Lord, come quickly. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of this gospel surrender. Gospel means good news. A Savior has come to save you. And that's what he says here. Listen now, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're in the room, the second thing I want to bring out from this Joel prophecy right at the end here, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Write this down on your notes. The Spirit is poured out. The last days are here. Call on the Lord to be saved. What do you need to be saved from? You need to be saved from your sin. Your sin has separated you from God. And um, if that feels judgmental and if you feel like you're being pointed out here, or, just, just hear this. Relax. Because you sit in a room full of people who at one time were all lost and needed to be saved in the same way. Church is not a gathering of perfect people who don't need a Savior. Hang out with us long enough and you'll figure that out real quick. Church is a gathering of hopelessly lost, sinful people who've just come to realize my only hope is in the Savior, Jesus. And so when you come in here and you're like, what's all this, like, hands in the air and, like, these people, like, they're cheering about Jesus? Um, that is not just some emotional expression because we're in a crowd. It's not a crowd mentality. It's, it's the expression of our heart that just says, thank you, Jesus, for saving even me. And it's everyone. You see it, right? Everyone? 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 We all see it? No, don't look at me. Look in your Bible. Do you see it? Everyone who calls on this Lord shall be saved. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The most moral, upright citizen uh, that, that you could ever... He needs Jesus just as much as the completely lost, just, just this horrifically sinful, just taking part in the, the most atrocious things in society. Both of them are the same in need of Jesus. If you think you're too far gone, good news today, you're not. 
If you think that God would save you, would, would forgive you for everything you've done except for that one thing you did, you're wrong. If you think that God would save you except for that one season of life, you're wrong. Listen, everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. You're not too far gone. And now, the important thing, and this is where Peter's going to go in the rest of the sermon, who is this Lord to call on? Y'all want to talk about Jesus for a bit? Eyes on Jesus right now. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Now, I just want to break up the Jesus portion here into chunks that we can digest. And so let's talk about, let's look at how Peter preaches Jesus to these people. And the first thing he says, this Jesus, Lord in Christ, guess what? He lived. And he looks them in the eye and he goes, you know this. You know he lived. Man, I wish I could have said that to some of my professors in college. Now, Jesus may not have actually ever been a historical figure. You're crazy. He lived. And he looks at them. These are not yet Jesus followers he's preaching to. And look at what he says. He puts it back on them. A man attested to you by God with mighty works. You know that. And wonders and signs, you know that you can't explain what this Jesus did, that God did through him in your midst, and how's he ended there? How's verse 22 end? As you yourselves, you know this. He goes, people, you know this. You know this Jesus lived, and you know this, this life of Jesus was uniquely different from every other life that's walked on this. Keep going, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up, According to the, to, the, to the what? This is crucial. According to the what? According to the definite plan. Don't miss that. We're coming back to that. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, there he goes again, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he goes, this Jesus, Lord in Christ, he lived. Now uh, get this, he died. He died. This Jesus died. He was crucified at the hands of lawless men. But it was according to God's definite plan. Don't lose sight of this. As you study the events of Jesus being beaten, mocked, scorned, and then nailed to a cross, and then he dies on this cross, it appears when you study those portions of Scripture that God was completely out of control to let the innocent suffer like that. Guess what? God was not out of control. He was fully in control. This wasn't God going, okay, just for this period of history, like I'm just going to let happen to Jesus what happened. No, no, no. It was, his, it was the foreknowledge of his plan from the foundation of the world. Our God is never out of control. It was all according to his definite plan. And he was delivered up, and he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now get this, get this, feel the weight of this. Yes, soldiers beat him. Yes, soldiers nailed him. But it was my sin that was part of the nails being driven in. Don't, don't sit there and hear verse 23 as those soldiers 
This is me. I didn't do the swinging of the hammer physically, but guess what? Because of my sin, he was nailed to the cross. Because of your sin, he was nailed to the cross. And he died. He died. Keep going, verse 24. God raised him up. Our Savior died, but he is not dead. No, 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 hear it. Our Savior died, but he is not dead. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. Get that in your head. Death wasn't strong enough to keep him down. He said, he's a death, bring it on. Shackles of death, boom, unlocked, risen again, because death had no power over Jesus our Lord in Christ. Death could not hold him down. It was not possible for him to be held by it. And now, now Peter goes back to the very scriptures devout Jews would have known. He goes, for David says concerning him. He's like, David, we all got on David. They're like, yeah, King David, for sure. Anything David said is gold. Okay, listen now. I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul in Hades. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now he explains this. Brothers, I may, I may say to you today with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Get this now. He looks at these devout Jews and he says, you think David was talking about himself there? You think David was talking about like he would not, his flesh would not see corruption? And that like he would not experience this. He goes, listen guys, you can go to King David's tomb. You can go and see. He was a man and he died. He goes, David's not ultimately talking about himself here. David is talking about the greater David. David's pointing to this one who would reign on his throne, who corruption would not, would, not, um, would not decay this one's body because David was talking about Jesus here. And he's using the very scriptures of these people to show them what is going on. And so he lived, he died, and he rose. And it's because our Savior has conquered death, has risen from it, that there's hope for our res resurrection from the dead as well. There's hope of life after this life. And when I say hope, it's not a hope of like, man, I really hope that happens. It is an assured hope. It is a capital H hope. And the hope's name is Jesus. He rose, but it gets better. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, this that you, have, you, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That idea of being poured out, it's like a downpour. He has poured out his spirit. 
This, this was not just a, a gentle trickle of the Spirit. It's a downpour. He's poured it out. He has poured out this Spirit, spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For, back to David. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This Jesus lived. This Jesus died. This Jesus rose. And guess what? This Jesus ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning. He's not up there twiddling his thumbs, wondering, like, what am I going to do until I come back one day? This Jesus is alive, ruling, reigning, King of kings, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he's ascended now to this point in the sermon that I believe would have been, like, you know those points in the sermon where I just start punching this thing? I believe this is where Peter was just like, come on, this is the apex. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to hear. I think verse 36, uh, uh, yeah, verse 36, I believe, is the sermon in a sentence. Don't look yet. Don't look yet. Verse 36 is the sermon in a sentence. Verse 36 is what we call around here the nail of the message. And he goes, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both what? Both who? Both Lord and Christ. He has made him both master and savior. Christ, Messiah, Messiah, savior. Lord, master. God has made him both master and savior. Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And Peter preaches this thing. And he uses what we call Old Testament. He uses the Hebrew scriptures. He points to the prophecy of Joel. He quotes David and he says, the Messiah has come. What you're experiencing is the pouring out of the spirit because the Messiah has poured it out. He lived and he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's poured out the spirit. And guess what? He goes, he is the Lord in Christ. Jesus lived, he died, he rose, he ascended. And here's the good news, he saves he saves. His greatest desire for your life is that he would be master of it. You're like, master sounds so harsh. It is not harsh. Your soul will experience the master it's, finally, it's always been searching for. You are living with a master whether you realize it or not. You have elevated someone else to carry, to carry the weight of the master of your life. You have elevated yourself, maybe, to carry the weight of master of your life. That is an oppressive way to live. The day you come to know Jesus as Lord, as master, the day you hand over the keys of your life to him, is the day your soul finally drinks afresh of the master it has always been longing for. Hear me. What I'm not saying is every day after that is just roses and whatever else is good. Hard days are ahead even after you know Jesus. The gospel is not. Come to know Jesus and then you'll just skip through life with just no issues at all. The gospel is come to know Jesus and you will say to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
come to know Jesus. What's the worst thing that could happen to you after that? I'll die. And guess what? Um, if I die, it's just gain. Wait, but what if you live? Then I just walk with Jesus. But what if you die? Then I just go see him. So you can't lose. No, we can't lose. He is both Lord and he's Christ. He's Savior. And now I love, well, let me give you this second thing. Jesus is the Lord and Christ to call on. So the end of the Joel prophecy is call on the Lord to be saved. And now what I believe, Jesus, or what I believe Peter does is he builds this sermon. He says, now let me tell you who that Lord is. Really clear. Let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus. This Jesus is the Lord to be called on. Now let me give you the third point. To call, to call is to repent. To call is to repent. There's a churchy word for you. We'll talk about it. To call is to repent and turn in faith to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Get that. Go to 37. Now, and they heard. So now the focus goes on these people listening to Peter preach this message. He says, now when they heard, now when they heard this, they were, they were cut to the heart. Conviction of God set in. This is what spirit-empowered preaching does. It cuts us to the heart. It convicts us. And their response is the right one. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, we're hearing this. You're using our scriptures to unpack for us who this Jesus What shall we do about this? And look at what Peter says here. And I want to try. I've been praying all week. Lord, help me to capture the tone in which Peter would have said this. And Peter said to them, Repent. What do we do? Repent. I think Peter would have preached this section so much more tactfully than I would have. Repent! <laughs> I don't think that's his tone here. He knows the Spirit of God is at work in this. He knows that they're cut to the heart. And as he gets here and they say, well, what do we do? Repent. What does that mean, Peter? It's an about face. It's a change of mind. It's a complete change of mind and attitude about who Jesus is. It is a, I am willfully denying Christ as Lord, or I'm unwillful and I just don't care. And it is an about face. It is a turning and going, he is Lord in Christ. He is master and savior. I must know him. I must trust him. I'm repenting. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to Christ in faith to save me. Repent. And I'll keep going. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. What do you do with this and be baptized, peace? The totality of Scripture teaches something very clear about salvation. That salvation happens, the forgiveness of sin happens the moment faith is birthed in our heart. Salvation, the forgiveness of sin happens the moment we repent and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. The totality of Scripture teaches that. So is Peter teaching when they say, what do we do? Repent and be baptized, and repentance plus baptism equals salvation. You're like, well, that's what I think it says. I don't think it says that. Why do I not think it says that? Two reasons. One, grammatically. 
to theologically, the totality of the theology of the Bible, is never that do something external and God will save you. God's always been after what? He's after a repentant heart. He's after faith being birthed in the heart. He's after repentance happening there. And then baptism is the outward declaration of the internal repentance and heart change that has happened. So that's what the totality of Scripture teaches. Now, why do, not, why do I not even believe that grammatically based on what it says? Um, um, stay with me here, and this is important, because we don't believe that baptism is part of the salvation experience. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. What's the next word? For. Is it for? For. Greek word, eighth. How do we translate this? Often when we see the word for, we think of, okay, repent plus be baptized for, in order for you to get, for, in order for you to get the forgiveness of sins. Um, there's, a, there's alternate ways where this, word, this Greek word ace can be understood. Um, not only in order that you get, but because of. Let me say that again. Not only in order that you get, but another way you can say that is because of. If I said to you, if you came up to me and said, I have a headache, and I said, take two aspirin for your headache, you would know quickly that doesn't mean take two aspirin in order for you to get a headache. That means take two aspirin, be what? Because you have a headache. This is what I believe, because people, there's, there's people, they're, they're good folks, but they believe in what's called baptismal regeneration. That baptism is part of salvation. Um, scripture doesn't teach it. If it was, when Jesus says to the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, he didn't take him down, baptize him real quick, put him back up, and then today, script, the totality of Scripture teaches you are saved by grace through faith. But, but, but they're like, what do you do with this? I believe he's saying, repent. Repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized. We're going to get to this. If you're like, oh, then baptism's not important. Oh, I'm coming for you coming for you. Repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness, because uh, you have received forgiveness of sin, because of your repentance. Now, get this. Baptism is the, uh, go, to, go to four here. Baptism is the public decora- declaration of your heart decision to turn to Christ in faith. And so sometimes we can get so in the camp That baptism is not a part of salvation. It's all of faith in your heart. Amen, 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 right? Come on. Shower your pastor in amens here. Amen. Amen. But guess what? The natural overflow of a heart that's turned to Jesus is a desire to go, now let me show the world. Let me show the world. Let me declare this outwardly, this inward heart change, this brand new life that has been wrought inside of me. I want to show and tell everyone. And God says, be baptized. You want to show and tell the world? Baptism is the natural overflow, heart expression that you are showing the church, the rest of the Jesus followers, and the world that you are a follower of Christ. This is why as we study the whole book of Acts, people are going to come to faith in Jesus, and what's the immediate thing they're going to do? Get baptized. I want to show it. Because baptism is this outward declaration of the inward heart decision that you've turned to Christ, you've repented, you've turned from your sin, and you've turned to Christ in 
faith. What's the message today in a sentence? What is the nail? What should you walk out of here? Here it is. Jesus is Lord in Christ. He is master and savior. Turn to him. Let me say it to you like Peter would have said, turn to him. Do not delay. Do not delay. Turn to him in faith for your sin to be forgiven. And guess what? His forgiveness will swallow you up. His forgiveness knows no ends. His forgiveness abounds. Let me keep reading here. I don't want to leave anything out. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, you will receive what? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Get this now. Get how good it is to follow Jesus. Forgiveness means all of the past sin, all of the future sin, God will not hold that against me because Jesus has paid the penalty on my behalf. He has, he has borne my sin. He's paid that penalty. He's imputed me with his righteousness. It's amazing. And now you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So my past is wiped away and a brand new life comes empowered and dwelt with God's spirit to lead me in this life after Jesus. This is the gospel. And it's so good. For the promise, how about it for us? Does this apply to us? Can we apply Peter's message here to us today? Let him answer that, verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. Those who received his word, those who repentance gripped their heart, they turned to Jesus in faith, they then were baptized to declare the internal Jesus decision they have just made. They were baptized. And there were added that day about how many? How many do we find in the upper room to start Acts? 120. That's a pretty effective sermon. All of these church growth strategies, grow your church and do this cool thing and just, just, just do this. Just preach the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. Worship Jesus. Pray a lot. And guess what? In one sermon, God grows this, this baby church 26 times. And so today, I say to you, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, today is the day to turn. Today is the day to embrace him as Lord. How do I do? You're like, how do I do that? How do I do that? The Bible says, call on the Lord to be saved. The Bible says that you're saved by faith. And right there in your heart, in this room today, Jesus isn't looking for some magical prayer. He's looking for you to call. He's looking for you to say, okay, uh, I get it. I'm done. I'm done with me. I've been a bad savior for myself. The road I've been walking on, I totally see it's broken and it's a dead end. I'm turning. The about face is happening today. Lord, you get the keys of my life. You are Lord. You are master. Today, faith is birthed in your heart. 
And God promises you today that upon faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sin and you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, amen. Amen.